good people. Apologies for the delay in the other episode. It is up and you'll have two episodes up. You have two for the price of one now. You are listening to the third episode of Music and We. I am Jamila. And I'm Jester. Welcome, welcome, welcome and welcome. This episode we are dedicating to folks who go against the grain and do not worship any human and they do not participate in Stan culture. Yes. So a brief definition of what a Stan is, if you haven't heard the term, um, it's actually a song that Eminem wrote, which birthed what a Stan is a few years ago. And that's where the term Stan comes from. And the meaning is founded in the scary lyrics of Stan and the song. An obsessed fan writes letters to Eminem and doesn't get anything back. So he gets progressively angrier and angrier. So basically, a Stan is someone that goes out of their way to defend an artist at any means necessary. It's not really up for debate. This person is great. If you don't like it, you got a problem. And it can kind of get scary because I've seen people insult bully photoshop images actually look at where you live just to make you feel less of a human being for not liking that particular artist so stan culture is basically a group of stands who are very obsessed to the point of bullying to the point of being dismissive of someone who doesn't engage the same art the way they think they should engage that artist or whoever so it's a step higher than being a fan it's like, no, I'm going to die for you, which is what actually happens in the music video. <laughs> it's kind of scary. Right. And the interesting thing is that the term Stan has taken a life on its own. I don't know how many people in this particular generation are aware that Stan is derived from an Eminem song. And that person worshipped Eminem. So much. I do wonder if it's an alternate personality of Eminem's. I, I don't know. I don't know if the song was based on something that happened to him. I think it was, but don't quote me on that. But the fact that this particular character was so unhinged that he lived his life for Marshall Mathers, we're seeing that more and more and more. And to me, this is Jamila's opinion, I think that is definitely qualification of the end times happening, uh, the fact that people are lovers of themselves, worshiping other humans, loving these people they don't even know more than their families or themselves or their friends. We're in a time where this is at an all-time high, and it is completely damaging to the spirit, if you ask me. And I'd be curious to see what Marshall Mathers thinks about Stan culture. I'm sure he has been asked at some point, but uh, I'm curious to see what he thinks. And does he think, wow, you know, I've, I've created a monster or does he appreciate it? I don't, I don't know. It's but, interesting because, you know, the song was released in 2000 and that was before social media. And I think, you know, with the emergence of social media, Stan culture has become incredibly impactful whereas in 2000 you know there were messenger boards and you can chat with people but it was not nearly how it is now we engage you know there are channels and programs dedicated to an artist now and it's much easier to find people that 
are stands. Rather, you know, that song was 18 years ago. And so I would say whatever he thought about stand culture then, he definitely has some opinions of it now because it's changed into this monster of a uh, panel. Yes. The biggest example of stand culture I can think of is Beyonce. (laughs) (laughs) That is the epitome, if you ask me, of stand culture. I would say Michael Jackson is a pretty close second, and it's a pretty close second. But people have given others death threats when there's a critique of Beyonce. Every single person on earth, and that's billions of people, must know who Beyonce is, must have all of her music, must worship her just the same. And I actually saw this video of Jill Scott, who was invited to a Beyonce and Jay-Z concert. And that's fine to say I really enjoyed the concert. This is great. But how she was going about it, it was very interesting. She was saying it was the best concert she's ever seen. And that's not even that strange, but it did border on idol worship. And that's when it becomes problematic to enjoy an artist, to say, I really enjoy their music. I love what they do. It's my favorite artist. Then to say, Beyonce can do no wrong to the point of saying Jay-Z is horrible because you hurt Beyonce. Even though Jay-Z and Beyonce are seemingly private people and have worked out their issues, people are still attacking Jay-Z, despite them going on a tour and working out whatever issues they've had. So people are so protective of Beyonce, it seems like they're protective of her more than their own families, themselves, and their friends and loved ones. So that's when it becomes stand culture. And that's when it becomes harmful. Yes, definitely. Um, you brought up a good point <clears throat> about Jay-Z. Uh, <laughs> poor Jay-Z. Not that I pity him or anyone, but I think he's gotten the worst out of it in terms of criticism. Like Jay-Z can't even go out and chill at the beach without people like, look at Jay-Z, look at his titties. And it's like <laughs> people go out of their way to just shame, obviously, his mistake or his era or whatever you want to call it with Beyonce and I think that their whole relationship is built upon um, marketing so from Lemonade to 444 all of that is intentional I'm not doubting that there was some negligence or uh, infidelity going on but I think they use it as a way of getting the attention of the fans And it's become just kind of this outrage. I mean, with their latest album, The Carters, now they're on tour, on the run too, and they're kind of celebrating the fact that they're reunited again. But I don't understand being so invested in someone else's life, especially when you know, or at least you should know, that a lot of it is handled by marketers. Do you feel people like Beyonce, and she's definitely not the only artist who has a huge stand culture, but I would agree she's probably the biggest. Do you feel those who have huge followings, such as Nicki Minaj, she's another example, do you feel they are responsible for at least telling or instructing their fans to kind of go easy on that, to not be as vindictive? 
because I feel like when you have that big of a platform, there needs to be some kind of balance. There needs to be some kind of order in the sense that you establish, hey, y'all don't need to go out your way sending death threats and being mean to people because someone else doesn't like our music. Someone like Nicki Minaj actually has gone out of her way to actually encourage that kind of behavior by suggesting, oh, Barb's, you know, that's who she calls her fans, Barb's. Barb's, you guys go after this person. They came against me, you know, and I feel like that's just very bad behavior and it just isn't necessary. So do you feel like an artist that has that kind of uh, strength um, in terms of popularity should direct their following, so to speak, to kind of chill out on their behavior? I absolutely do think the celebrities who have major influence like that should say, I appreciate you love me, but no death threats to people. Everyone does not have to like me. I think it's really crucial to say, yeah. particularly with the rise of social media and you have Beyonce's song, like bow down, uh, you know, a, a lot of Christians in particular took umbrage with that because you know, are you saying to bow down to you, a human? As someone who claims to be a Christian, you're saying to bow down. So that was a major critique when that song came out. And then the whole hive culture. This is interesting because I love bees. And bees <laughs> usually work together to build something. But what we're seeing with the hive culture slash stand culture, people are working together to to build people down, to tear people down. And we're supposed to be uplifting artists. Even uh, one of the things I've seen is that if, for instance, Michael Jackson likes an artist, then I'm supposed to like an artist. Right. If this particular person likes an artist, then I'm going to go and support them. <laughs> and, and you're seeing that a lot. So it's mm. it's the hive culture, the hive mind means something totally different than what we see in, for instance, bee culture. And I know it's like the beehive, but I really think it's insulting the bees. <laughs> because, again, <laughs> bees work to to cultivate nutrients for the world. And you're cultivating something which separates other people based on idol worship. It's not necessary. And I know Beyonce has somewhat said, okay, y'all need to chill. But I think she needs to take a stronger stance on that because her fans are giving other people death threats. That is serious. People, yeah. as you mentioned, are looking up people's addresses and threatening people. I'm going to come to your house if you say one more time that you don't like her. I think she needs to take a stand on that. Absolutely. Uh, the armies, the hives, the navies. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just it's, it's damaging to one's psyche to have that much faith in a person you don't know. It's one thing to enjoy their music. It's one thing to enjoy going to their concerts. But to take up so much of your time on social media following everything this person does, they, they're they human. They also have a life of their own. And as you mentioned, it's marketing. So they're not giving you every aspect of their lives. Right. 
And so <laughs> what are you doing outside of if you have a job? What are you doing outside of that? Are you creating anything yourself or are you simply consuming? Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's, that's the, the question. That's the it's question about right consumption there. versus creativity. Right. And while these people are being creative either through marketing or their own fruition, they're still profiting off of your worship. And I think that is why many of these artists are silent because they continue to make some type of money and the, the record labels and the management companies profit even more. Yes. And so this becomes a hierarchy of labor. We have to understand that our labor is producing profit for some of these artists and especially these companies. Definitely. And they should definitely say, okay, I'm not God. Stop worshiping me. (laughs) Please stop worshiping me. I understand you enjoy me. I understand you enjoy my art, but I have a life outside of this. Please stop following me. And so it becomes, you know, we had John Lennon. I think that, you know, that definitely wasn't stand culture. I think the Mark Chapman actually was not a fan of John Lennon. I think there was a political reason why Chapman stalked John Lennon. Uh, you have the guy that shot Ronald Reagan because of Jodie Foster. So there's always been some amount of stand culture and some amount of uh, unhinged, if you will. Excuse me if that's offensive. Uh, just individuals that worship a celebrity so much that they have taken on their own lives in particular to this artist. And so once again, with internet, with social media, it's taken on a life of its own into damaging effects. Yeah. And I think a big part of it also is that these are children a lot of the stands that I've seen are children. They're not, you know, over 18 or over 25 even. They are just obsessed with that artist because they speak to whatever ailment or emotion that they're experiencing. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. When I first discovered artists like Michael and Prince and Stevie, you know, I had a big piece of me was like to defend them or to go out of my way to compensate for what they did for me. And I think a lot of people do that with celebrities. If you identify with something that they did, you want to protect them or you sort of want to guard them from any possible criticism. Although opinions are acceptable, it's okay for someone to differ and how they look at someone else. So I think an issue is that a lot of people are young and they're really grasping with their own identity and their own growth. And if someone comes against them, it's like coming against your favorite superhero or whatever. But the more you grow up, you realize, oh, they're just people. They're not anything to be praised or worshiped. They they just have access, better access, privilege, all these other factors, and then you don't basically excuse them for anything. So I think what needs to happen is more parents and kids, their guardians should remind them, hey, you know, yeah, this person is great. I see why you respect them, but they had to work here. They may have had different privileges to get them where they are, and it's okay to accept them and to respect them, but it's more importantly to also understand that other people might not see them the same way you see them, because we're all human. We all have different experiences. We're not going to engage everybody the same way 
we think they should be engaged. So that's just a very important factor. Indeed. Another major example I recall was when Lemonade came out and there were folks in New Orleans who critiqued that film she did. There were people who came out who said she's exploiting what happened by a Katrina. Please do not exploit our city. There were just major solid critiques. I'm not even doing justice. And those people who experienced Katrina and are still living under the effects of Katrina were given death threats. It was just, it was ridiculous. The amount of Beyonce worship, you're threatening someone who actually experienced Katrina and she just came there and made a film and left. Right. It makes no sense, really. I think a lot of people don't even consider the context of opinion or I'm not sure what makes one go into themselves to go out of their way to just send a death threat or even just brushing them off. I mean, people are scared to even say, I don't like this because this kind of form of tribalism is toxic because what it does is it implies the moment you don't like it. Oh, there's something missing in you. You're not getting something where it could just simply be a matter of opinion because everyone doesn't like everything. Um, and it's okay. It's okay not to like it. Now, if you want to explain that, then that's up to you. But just to say, eh, not for me. Don't really like it. I don't think this is anything revolutionary. This is just, you know, hoopla. It shouldn't be seen as an attack. And I think, again, what creates that kind of mentality is insecurity. It's not understanding possibly all of what your experience are. So you're projecting some of those insecurities to other people. Um, But there's no sense in that. There's no sense in attacking somebody for not liking what you like, because you're going to find that. And going back to what I said earlier about the celebrity taking initiative to say, hey, you know, you need to chill out on that. That should be done because a lot of people are programmed in the sense that they're conditioned to just, you know, oh, my leader. Everyone wants a leader or somebody to bow down to. And, you know, this actually kind of deviates to another conversation that I wanted to talk about, which is iconography. Humans and their obsession with idolizing who's above them. So whether it's art, I mean, that's kind of what happens to celebrities now. So we have posters and pictures of all of these different people hanging up on our walls because we identify with their message or we identify with their music or whatever. And we idolize them because we see something in them that we see in ourselves or they were there for us at a time that's very hard. This, at one point, I guess what I'm trying to ask is at what point does it become idol worship to I'm going to go out my way to make this person revered? Uh, I'm not, the lines are so blurry. That kind of leap, it happens so often. I'm not sure what creates that that mechanism. I think that depends on who you ask. Honestly, you're probably going to get many answers to that question. I would say one of the answers be the desire to be at that status. There's still this idea that being a celebrity is a desirable occupation, despite mm-hmm. the massive amount of controversies that come with it, the lack of privacy. There, there's yeah. so many sides to it, but people still want to be there 
because they want to earn a lot of money and they want to get out of their particular financial situation. Mm-hmm. But as we can see with somebody like Cardi B, who <laughs> literally is a more recent artist and has a stand base. And this, again, I think the Internet is a contributor to that. You don't have to build any kind of. You don't have to mm-hmm. do it like Michael Jackson did it, where he started out when he was a kid. And he built to the point where he became an international celebrity at the age of 25. 20 years later, it took at least 10 years to build to the point where he was loved by many people. Cardi B has been loved and and has stands in such a short amount of time uh, within, a am going to say, a a three-year range. And so we're seeing so much of this right now where people are being the recipients of stand culture of faster rates and people go on Instagram to get attention. They go to get likes. The part about insecurity, you may have something going on there. People want to be liked, but it's in a way which is superficial. It's in a way where people are seeing celebrity as, as something that's superficial as opposed to a lot of the work that goes into it, the marketing. I think people are looking at where Beyonce is. They're looking at where Nicki Minaj is, where Cardi B is, and they want to have that type of level of fame to be appreciated by everyone. But they don't understand the hard work that goes into it. I think Beyonce is, she's extremely diligent in getting where she got. She fired her father and... She created her image, yes, with help of marketing, but she worked to where she got, and you you have to respect that. What I think, again, she should do is say, y'all need to chill. Like, I understand you love me, (laughs) but (laughs) you've got to stop attacking people who say, you know, I'm I'm not into her. But Cardi B, apparently she's known for just, being honest. So she came from the hood and the hood never left her. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how she presents herself and people appreciate that. They respect that. I think that's why she grabbed a lot of attention, but it came so fast. And I don't think she is able to handle it in a way that's healthy because she's simply being reactionary. What I've seen is that every time someone has some amount of critique of, of her, she is reactionary. It's like, I'm going to co- come for me at my studio. And so, again, we're at this point where people are lovers of themselves. They cannot take any amount of critique. Everyone has to love you. It's It's a huge component of narcissism. And we're at a point where narcissism is at an all-time high. And so I think, (laughs) you know, I I think, again, people can appreciate Cardi B and love her music. But when it comes to the critique aspect, the thing about critique is that it's supposed to to come with humility. Any type of critique should come with love and it should come with a means 
to improve where we are. How can I be a better person? So I accept your critique with love. But we're not at this point right now. People are fighting on social media. People are going to places and saying, all right, I'm here. Let's fight. And that's just not necessary. Reactionary. Very reactionary. You know, if you're going out of your way to find the people who criticize you just to attack them, that says more about your confidence. And I see that a lot with uh, Cardi B, also Nicki Minaj. The two of them in particular are like that. They'll read their uh, feeds on Facebook or one more so Instagram or Twitter, and they'll call out people who are disagreeing because they're hating, you know, and it's like you're never going to get everyone to love you. You're going to get the quote unquote haters and people who just simply disregard what you're doing to feed into that. It's the age old feeding the trolls narrative. Like if you find that person a troll or just being dismissive, why even engage them by engaging them? You're just inviting more of that kind of behavior. So it's best for a lot of these celebrities to just dump their phones when it comes to criticism. Don't even engage it. Why care? Why even make a fuss about it? Keep doing you. And that's true whether you're famous or not. So people should just remember that. I don't know why it's very important to just be loved. It's like you said, the age of narcissism is very strong right now. A lot of people want confirmation. They want to be loved. They want to be celebrated, even if they're not giving material worthy of that celebration. I will actually give Beyonce major credit for that. She learned from her elders. Yeah. People critique her all the time. People attack her all the time. She pays them dust. I mm-hmm. I do respect that for Beyonce. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> totally. She does. Yeah. So, well, see, she came from old school, too, in the sense that at least she was surrounded around people. I mean, Michael has spoken great things about her prince. Um, a lot of her, uh, you know, the people be her, and she does acknowledge that, and I think that's a good thing. That kind of settles the the shaky ground um, dismissiveness that comes from other artists, I think. Does Prince have a stand culture? <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad yeah. you mentioned it because I know any listener would be like, "Well, you know, Prince is the same way." Yeah, I mean, any person. I mean, I'm going I'm going to quote Michael here, and it's like, "The bigger the star, the bigger the target." They exist, for sure. I've seen people go out of their way to defend Prince regardless, you know, and um, he does. You know, the org is one of the places where I guess you can really see that played out. Not as much, though, because a lot of people on the org are critical of Prince. Like, you can't get nothing right without people coming out and saying, oh, this is bad or whatever. But he definitely has one. It's just probably not as big as Rihanna's or any of the other contemporaries who have a bigger following. Prince is kind of weird because a lot of people see him as this unicorn, mystical, yeah, that's Prince. Ooh, because he's done so much music. I think a lot of people don't really factor in, you know, all of his different eras. But that still doesn't take away the fact that he has a huge following of people that there are plenty of Facebook groups, plenty of YouTube channels dedicated to Prince, and there is a lot of them that put him on a high pedestal, like the greatest of all time. You can't say anything about him. Most definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so going back, you said org. Describe to folks what Prince.org is. Ooh. So the org is a website that features predominantly Prince News. There are communities, uh, forums, I should say, 
Speaking of topics from his music to his personal life, um, I was on the org heavily back in 2009 to 10 to 11. I got off shortly after that, maybe 2012, 13. But it's a place where you can just basically communicate with other Prince fans. The problem that I had with the org, and I know it's probably different when I first joined, but the problem I had was that I would get on there and just rave about what I liked because this was my entry discovery to Prince. It's like when I first discovered who Prince was, I just found his art to be completely spellbinding and I needed a place to kind of express that. And it was cool to see facts that I didn't know to look at pictures before Prince would take them down because he was big on, you know, taking down a lot of stuff that was on the org. Um, but I just enjoyed the community because it was a lot of people who had facts that they shared that I didn't know. And it's a good place to find Prince information. But I stepped away from it when I noticed the environment being extremely unwilling to uh, basically talk about a topic without bringing in something else that was negative. Um, so it just seemed to be extremely negative in the sense that they didn't really talk about what was good, but what, you know, they it's very messy and gossipy and very derailing of the topic, if you would mention something. And a lot of people seem to just be angry at Prince personally because of something he didn't do, which I never understood. So, like, I went through a thread where Prince was talking or Prince did the news album and a lot of fans were disappointed with it because they found it to be incredibly boring, elevator music. But then some of those same people were criticizing an album he did prior the Rainbow Children for being too preachy. So it was like people criticized Prince when he said something. People criticized Prince when he didn't say anything. Um, it's almost like he couldn't win for losing. No matter what he did, there was always a complaint. Um, and that's what kind of drew me away from it because it didn't seem like the overall people on the org went with Prince with wherever he went, which could be hard because, you know, following Prince he could just, he could just go into a different direction and you just you either down for it or you're not and it seemed like a lot of people wanted him to do something else they were just kind of chasing their childhood chasing their album that made them a fan or whatever and it was just very difficult to navigate that site because so many people just wanted him to be like he was in the 80s or the 90s or when he wasn't a Jehovah's Witness or whatever so um me being the person that just values the music itself and the story that comes with the music. And granted, I didn't grow up in a time where I remember musicology or I remember the 90s or the 80s or any of those periods. I just respected that he would just say, all right, I'm going here. And if you want to follow along, cool. And if you don't, then cool, too. It wasn't like you had to follow him along because he challenged you enough and it was easy enough to just be like, yeah. I'm not down with it. And there are plenty of songs and albums that I don't like as much as I would like others. And that's OK. But if you come against what people like, then it's like, oh, you're not really a fan. So if someone says, eh, Sign of the Times isn't really my kind of album, I prefer Come, for instance. And it's like, what? How could you like Come? Come is nothing compared to, I mean, the Battle of the Dorothy Parker and Sign of the Times is the best, you know, whatever. So it's kind of like trophies arguing over trophies and what trophy is the best <laughs> it's a lot of that
So are you saying there's controversy in the <laughs> Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Very much so. And it's mostly due to, you know, Prince has a line in his album, The Truth, where he says, the only competition is well me in the past, which is very true because most of the time on the org, people are talking about what he did before and how before was better than now. And obviously, since he's not around, a lot of revisionism has taken place, uh, whereas the, the same people who hated a particular album are now glorifying it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because when he was around, oh, man, if Prince was on the org, which he obviously, I believe, did frequent the org often. And I'm sure he saw a lot of that and was just probably hurt, mixed with being angry, mixed with being confused, because... It seems like the overall senses at the time when he was around, people just were not happy with what he was doing, which, again, that's their opinion. I don't mind that. But here's somebody like myself. When I was on it, I would just create threads. I, I made a lot of videos about Prince and a lot of it was just me talking about what I loved about it. It was just the passion that I found through the music that encouraged me to make a video. And a lot of people even thought my videos were too positive, like, oh, he's a plant. You're just, you know, a lot of people thought that what? actually Prince. Yeah, I remember people saying Prince paid me to get on the org to talk about him. Being, what? Yeah. They just couldn't believe someone like myself could be that impacted by his music. Um, wow. So a lot of people didn't understand it. They thought that I was just being fake with my energy, which, again, it's like, I don't care what you think about me. <laughs> but it, it just speaks to the perception that they had. Which is that, yeah, Prince is cool and everything, but he ain't as cool as when he did this. That's There's a lot of that going on on the org where people, you know, remember Prince from the 80s. They grew up and they followed his career. And when Prince made these changes, they weren't able to vibe with him. Therefore, making his art at the time being lackluster or plastic, which, again, it's an opinion. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to attack someone else for saying, hey, I actually like NPL sound. I think. The sounds are good in this album. You're going to always say or you could always say, oh, this isn't as good as that. But, you know, Prince's whole model was surrender your expectations. And I kind of took that seriously because I, I like that kind of acknowledgement. Don't have any expectations. Just listen. If you like it, cool. If not, cool, because you're not going to like everything. And also, again, Prince being an artist that creates a lot of music is very likely you're going to find a lot of stuff you don't like just like it's likely to find things you like. So it's just kind of up to your radar to decide what you like without so my, it being a My question is, if people say they're fans of Prince, you would understand that the man was about evolution of music. The first album right. was you. <laughs> so yeah. you had some folk going on. You had you know, classic R&B you had the second album, Prince. Then he started to do more rock. Why do you want to treat me so? No, he started right. doing that. I want to be your lover. Uh, so, yeah, the first album, Soft and Wet. And, you know, you had all of these things. And then you had the revolution period. So, yes, there were members in the earlier albums that became members of the revolution. But the music seemed to always evolve even in that era. Yeah. So you had... 1999 was very different from his second album. And you had Purple Rain was 
mostly for all intents and purposes a rock album mm-hmm. but it had definitely major tinges of gospel and then you had moving on <laughs> you had parade which was to me the first Prince album I really did love. I grew up around Prince. My sister loved Prince. We talked mm-hmm. about that. But Parade was the first album I really appreciated Prince as an artist. And he started really getting into jazz. Mountains is going to be forever placed in my heart as my favorite Prince song. <laughs> yeah. And so you had that. But then Wendy and Lisa, etc., were fired. And then you had sign of the times and then you had you know then you move on and he started doing stuff by himself the batman album which sounded different than the revolution and then mm-hmm. you had mpg but when he was doing right. mpg he started doing the rap stuff but <laughs> 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 so, um, then he started doing the rap but then he went back to traditional jazz so yeah. he always yeah. evolved as an artist so i don't understand why someone who says they're a Prince fan would not understand that and relegate him to either the revolution or the NPG or anything else. You you don't have to like everything, but to relegate him to a certain era, I think disrespects the artistry of Prince and it disrespects his humanity because it just says that artists shouldn't evolve. It's like, again, going back to Beyonce, if she was always to do bow down if she was always to do uh even when she was in destiny's child or something if she was always to do that kind of music and not evolve and that's what i'm seeing like she's i feel like it's the marketing thing where she is going to trap music now it's like no mm, evolve yeah. i no, would love to hear Beyonce do a jazz album yeah. i would love to hear her do something that has traditional instruments in it yeah. and I'm not seeing that. I don't know if it's because of a market-based thing or if that's where she feels she wants to be. But an artist like Prince has always evolved. And you know, he started getting into some dubstep stuff. And you know, he's always looking at how music's changing and he's going with that, but doing it in his own way. So for people to say, well, I only like... 1999 or i only like his first album that that just really does a disservice to the 35 major albums he produced and he <laughs> made even more music yes. than that the 35 albums the man produced right. you're saying he he only should be doing three albums out of that era <laughs> thank you just- i mean you said it all right there i'm so glad you said it because um that's exactly what I'm saying. And I, I got that early when I discovered Prince. I realized that this guy does a lot of music and he seems to be interested in taking his listeners on a journey. It seemed quite clear that this is the direction he wanted to go in. And I embraced it because I love journeys. I love going to festivals. I love going to expeditions, so to speak. And that's what he was all about. And I think a lot of people, again, Studies show that people identify most with what their childhood memory is. Or if something happened in your life when Purple Rain came out, you hold close to that because it's that memory. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing because I actually don't like Purple Rain. 
<laughs> right. Well, I can understand. I, 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 was, still, I was definitely right. around when that was going on. <laughs> See? Well, good. I mean, I don't care for Purple Rain either. I mean, it's not my favorite album. I can definitely appreciate some songs on it, but I would not say... It's my least favorite in the 80s, I would say, even, which I know would even blow people away to hear that. But again, that's not to take away the concept or what that era was like. And again, I didn't live through the 80s. I didn't go through that period. But I still don't understand how you can regulate an artist and make them stick to one particular time because you favor that time the most. Because... You know, Prince was always doing music. And, you know, you mentioned all of the changes. I think it's important to mention the time. You know, while he was working on 1979, his first or his second album, his self-titled album, he came up with the time, which was completely in deviation to. And I think he did that on purpose. He created a monster. So he has this other group, the time with Morris Day and Jesse and all of these other musicians, Jimmy Jam and. Terry Lewis, you know, Terry Lewis, yeah, and Monty, all of these people, and that was what was kicking. People wanted to hear that. They didn't like the the rock kind of weird stuff he was doing, you know. And that was a group he created. He played all the instruments, he wrote all the music, and he realized that wow, my only competition again is me because it was his <laughs> band, um, and they most people preferred that over the Revolution. And then when the MPG came around, you know, the New Power Generation. He's exploring different sounds then. So I think he was always about challenging and going in different directions. Um, and for an artist to do that, obviously, you're going to take a lot of people to have a problem with that. But Prince never slowed down. And just to go back to what you said about Beyonce and other artists, I think it's imperative. I would love for more artists to take those kind of risks because that's actually what's going to give you longevity that's going to put you in the history books when you say oh all right everyone's doing trap let me do opera or i'm gonna do this i mean especially if it's a sincere change and not just done out of the fact that it's a marketing thing to do which i think for instance adele does a lot (laughs) um everyone right now is doing trap i don't need to hear another trap album in fact that's why the carters the album beyonce did with jay-z just recently is forgotten already I mean, it came out like maybe two months ago, but I remember listening to it being very disappointed because it's like, oh, OK, here's the autotune. Here's you telling me how shitty I am because I'm not rich and how you are nice. And I'm basically a dumbass because I'm poor, you know, <laughs> because that's the kind of lyricism that that album explores. It's a lot of, you know, I'm nice, you not. And that kind of which I don't I don't, I don't even like that kind of music. So it's kind of like. You're giving us what we already know, and this is disappointing. I would love for more artists. There are some artists that are actually changing the barriers. I think of Jack White. I think of Kamasi Washington, you know, who are actually turning the tides, but they're not as popular. Going back to this stand culture, I think stand culture is intrinsically tied to materialism and how much you can stunt on the rest, which I have a huge problem with because it shouldn't be about, I mean, I miss humility. I think humility is a great character. I don't think, or a characteristic. I think people who are humble, who acknowledge their ancestors and the people who came before them are to be praised. And I miss that kind of uh, vibration. It's not really found anymore. I was just listening to a, uh, or watching a clip from Sammy Davis Jr. And I found it so striking how anytime he performed, it just seemed like he was, he knew he was doing it for the people. And he was always gracious for that. 
thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Or someone like even Ella Fitzgerald or just, you know, acknowledging that thank you for coming out. Thank you for engaging. It's not, yeah, you know, if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be here. Artists can play around with that. I mean, definitely Prince did it a lot when he would say things like, you know, before me, there was nothing without the eye you cannot see. But it's still not like he doesn't talk about the people who came before him. You know, you listen to Musicology, he's talking about James Brown and Earth, Wind, Fire and all of the people that lay the foundation. So I think it's important to just give credit. You are not the inventor. You are not the creator in the sense that if it wasn't for you, nothing would be. You have people that came before you, and it's okay to talk about those people. When you were talking about without you, I wouldn't be here. I was thinking of folks like Chub Rock. So you had, even in hip-hop, there was an acknowledgement mm-hmm. of the people. Yeah. And now it's like, it's just about me. It is about stunting. It's, it's very materialistic. We have to look at how these corporations, once again, who are profiting off of the people, are informing these artists to make music like that. And a lot of rappers will tell you that they get sat at the table and said, don't do any political music. It's not going to make us money. You got to do a song about narcissism. You got to do a song about capitalism. It is not uncommon. And who knows if that's what Beyonce's being told. I don't know. She's not going <laughs> to tell you the right. secrets. But I think a huge part of that, as we keep saying, is marketing. And even with Kanye West, uh, that's a whole other <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> story. That's but with Kanye West, even when he talks about the ravages of capitalism, he's still addressing himself in it. For instance, what's the song he did about slavery? It was still about yeah. him. Mm-hmm. We see with these newer artists who are bringing up political issues, it still turns around to be about them and their struggle. Michael did play with that a little bit in the History album, but he was literally going through something and saying, you know, I'm, I'm not the only person that goes through that. And even when he addressed Eminem, when Eminem uh, had that portion of, one of his songs mm-hmm. about Michael, Michael said, this is not just about Michael Jackson. This is about the culture of these artists stealing from us. And so yeah, Michael understood exactly. it wasn't just about him and he publicly acknowledged that. But a lot of these yeah. artists, you're starting to see less and less of that acknowledgement and it becomes more about their personal struggle. It's important for these artists to say, it's not just about me. Please stop attacking others who you know, may not like my music for whatever reason. My music's not for everybody. I can appreciate that perspective because it's true. And you're not going to be liked by everybody. Everyone ain't going to dig you. And that's all right. Because you're going to find people that do dig you. Talk to them. Everyone isn't going to dig what you do. Yeah, and you mentioned Adele. And it's funny because a lot of people are looking at her or Sam Smith as soul artists. But you have artists like Leela James who have been around for years, but people don't know who she is. You mentioned Kamasi Washington. There are artists who are doing things and expanding the horizon. People don't even know that Michelle Indegio Cello is still doing music. And she's definitely expanding her horizon on what music is. And she's doing a lot of albums with covers. She's a Nina Simone covers album and she recently came out with one where they were interpretations of 
popular songs from different eras and it's some good album. stuff. I like that. Yeah. Some good stuff, yeah. but people people have complained about it because it it expands on whatever expectations people have. And then you were talking about suspending expectations, and yeah. that's what she does all the time, and people can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, you know, you reminded me, you know, a reason why a lot of people don't acknowledge the others who are making great music is because a lot of people for a lot of people, they measure success based on how many awards and how many followers you have. And if you don't have a particular amount of Grammys or a certain amount of acknowledgement, then all of a sudden you're not doing anything. I think that also connects to Stan culture because what a lot of people do is they say oh well prince played 27 instruments so he's better than michael or well michael actually was a child star since he was six and he maintained that since he was uh 50 or they'll just use these rudimentary alkylades as a trophy as a way of saying this is why this person is better because this person remained number one for blah 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 amounts of time you know and it and if you're judging by that then you're really not about the music or you're not about what you really get from it and i don't i don't understand why we have to just plug in someone's itinerary or resume i should say as a way to um triumph over another artist there's no point in that that happens so often i think we can appreciate prince and michael in our own little ways i appreciate that prince as an artist was uncompromising he continued to create regardless of what people said about him. He didn't care about the accolades or the sales. He so much as said that in an interview. He said, yes, when I was at Warner Brothers, I sold millions of records. And when I became emancipated from Warner Brothers, I sold hundreds of records. But I'm still making my art in the way I want to. Mm -hmm. I give the utmost respect to Prince for that. Yes. For sure, because he was doing it because this is what I am. I'm an artist. I'm a musician. So I'm going to make music. And that, and that's what his reason was. And I respect artists that say, hey, I'm doing it because of this. I'm, I don't care about the other extra attachments. But those attachments, for whatever reason, are plugs for a lot of stands. We need to remind other people why some person is better, why because they got this amount of Grammys, that must mean that they are the best in this department. And it's a very faulty argument because there are great artists who don't have any Grammys, who didn't win any awards. That doesn't take away from their talent or the ability that record had on culture. So, you know, using these, these, these small bullet points and maximizing them to mean more it's just divisive. And, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and say when black people do it to other black people, it's disappointing, especially because black musicians, we've been doing music since the music industry formed. And there's no need for that kind of over indulgence of, you know, putting someone over the other. Like we can all be great. It doesn't need to be one great person and it, it kind of goes back to that idea of kings and queens and uh, which i don't agree with you know why do you want to be a king do you want to profit off of the you know exploit those who are working like what's the point in mm -hmm. trying to uh, be the conqueror or the the best mm -hmm. you know? <laughs>
Ah, you know I'm with you on that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. think the the thing with stand culture, and even as you just mentioned, king and queen, it becomes separate from the people. Art's supposed to represent people, and it's supposed to question the status quo. Art, if it's any good, is supposed to question society. It's supposed to challenge the systems that are in power. But what we're seeing with popular music, and I think ultimately that is an issue I have with Beyonce's music and pop music in general, it does not challenge the status quo. It does not challenge those systems which oppress the people. And so you can talk about Lemonade. You can talk about all of these different things, and you can talk about her Super Bowl performance, which was heavily inspired by Michael. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <Completely. laughs> but it's not particularly challenging any ideas. And so, A, it's the Super Bowl. And I know, yes, Michael did the Super Bowl. You know, that he got paid by Pepsi. You know, that's, you know, I, I can take issue with that as well. Mm-hmm. But what I discussed, I actually had this discussion with someone. I don't even know if she was a stand. But she she loved Beyonce. And so she asked me what I thought of the Super Bowl performance. And I said, are you sure you want me to (laughs) answer that question? She said, yes. And I said, I see the power dynamics in that performance. Here is this woman who is taking the lead. She's of a lighter hue and she's got the long blondish hair. Those in the in the back were of a darker hue and they had afros. There's definitely a power dynamic there. And she just went off on me. If we can't understand the subtleties of those power dynamics, then we're not seeing everything else that's going on. Was that purposeful on Beyonce's part? I cannot say I wasn't there when I was when they were drafting this. But it might have been absolutely subconscious. Uh, Her father, her own father was talking about how he was conditioned by colorism. And he married his wife because he thought she was white. So yes. who is to say that didn't rub off on Beyonce and her sister in some way? I don't know. Those dynamics of Beyonce being lighter with the blonder hair, that might have been a, a, a subconscious effort, despite her talking about political issues of white supremacy and racism. Mm-hmm. There's still those elements there. And I think it's OK to critique It's not saying, oh, it's an outright horrible performance, but you have to look at the nuances of those things. And once you get those critiques, people can say, oh, okay, I'll improve upon that. And one thing I will give credit to Beyonce for, because she actually does have fans who critique her. She's okay. I can. This is how I can improve upon the performance, Mm -hmm. because a lot of people were saying the first half of the tour that she was doing with her husband. People were, oh, this is boring, this and that. And these are fans saying that. And then people went to the second half and said, oh, it's improved. So I do think she does listen, but there's still elements that are problematic. For instance, that performance with the with the hierarchy. Of- that's a good point. I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think, you know, the black community, that's when we have to just have that kind of conversation with ourselves because it's definitely being talked about. I mean, I thought the same thing when I saw it. I mean, how much more powerful it would have been if Beyonce had an afro along with everyone else and that if it wasn't blonde. Again, even me, see, that's another thing. I can't, 
I even feel at times not to even say that. I couldn't say it on social media as a black man because then, of course, you know, who the hell are you? The police will black women do it to hear. And, uh, and I get I get where that's coming from. Um, but again, those kind of subtle, subtle nuances, um, a lot of people are afraid to talk about them because there's always a reason. There's a justification. Um, and it's just like it, the conversation just doesn't end up happening because people are either afraid to speak about it or they're going to be criticized for being against what she was trying to convey. Um, so and that's the problem. I feel like we should be able to have these conversations. The layers should be pulled off. We should be able to ask these questions because it's like you said, it's on a subconscious level even. I mean, it's not always just on the surface. I mean, if Beyonce's father, Matthew, knows could say he married Tina because he thought she was a white woman and that his mom told him that he should marry a dark skinned woman. You know, that that's colorism. <laughs> and I think a lot of people, in particular black people, we know we have family that still adopt those kind of mentalities. Um, and this is something that should be talked about. It shouldn't be a topic that we avoid. Especially at the expense of a celebrity. If we can't even talk like this with our families, why should we be, you know, I don't understand. <laughs> it's a big contradiction, big form of irony there. One of the things I've been thinking about as well in this conversation is the stand culture for Obama. Obama Ooh. is <laughs> yes, the let's very notion. <laughs> Obama <laughs> is the very notion of neocolonialism. The U.S. is highly in support of white supremacy. The values and the laws come from that. Uh, the U.S. is a settler colonial state. The indigenous folks are fighting for land right now. Mm -hmm. And an Obama administration is colluding with private companies in order to steal land. Uh, when the pipeline protests were happening, what happened? Obama sat on that and waited for Trump to go in so they could just Say, OK, right. we're going to put the pipelines in under Obama's watch. Folks who were protesting land protectors, water protectors were hosed. It's very much like what happened to us. Yeah. <laughs> and people were defending Obama on that. People were defending Obama on the uh, obliteration of the Libyan economy and land. People were defending Obama by saying, well, you know, he's not just the president of black people, he's the president of everyone. When, when he was silent on police terrorism, uh, uh, on unarmed people. Uh -huh. um, and then I remember when Beyonce and Jay-Z went to Cuba and Jay-Z bragged that it was Obama, but it was, of course, the Treasury Department. Obama gave them carte blanche to go to Cuba. Like He bragged about this in a song. And so we see these artists making collaborations with these neo-colonialist political figures. And to me, that is a huge problem. And that is the biggest problem I have with Beyonce and Jay-Z. Their support of these politicians that have nothing to do with liberation of the people. They work directly against the interests of the people and we have the the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, all of these things that were signed 
under Obama and people go, well, it's our first black president. It's, you know, he speaks well, <laughs> he's cool. And when you ask people about the policies, they don't know anything about them. The, they know my brother's keeper, about them. <laughs> all of these policies to go to Chicago and to have uh, public education be just destabilized in favor of, of private schools. Rahm Emanuel, who was in the Obama administration, he ended up being mayor of Chicago. So he's continuing the the daily effect. And we're seeing all of this. And now Obama is trying to build this this presidential library under his name. And once again, working to destabilize working class and poor people, displacing people. And so there have been people organizing and no one's talking about that except for the people who, who know about it, the intense worship, the stand culture around Obama and Jay-Z and Beyonce's support of not only Obama, but Hillary Clinton, the policies she supported that were anti-African, the omnibus crime bill of 1994, there's all of these bills, all of these laws, which were racist and white supremacist in nature, you have Jay-Z and Beyonce supporting these people based on a political identity, Democrat. It's the, yeah. the party line. Mm. People will not stray away from that. And so to me, that is the biggest problem where these pop celebrities are not looking at policies which are anti-human, which are yeah. against African people, and which are against working class people, regardless of what their ethnicity is. And so um, you can't say anything like that because, well, you know, they should just make music. They should shut up. But we don't understand the history <laughs> of music then, because there's always yeah. been protest music. <laughs> so yeah, to say exactly. that people shouldn't make protest music now, it, it makes absolutely no sense. If that's the case, why do these these candidates use music in their campaign stops? If music was yeah. not to send a political message, even outside of the stand culture, even outside of all that, that's I'm going to say the biggest problem I have with Jay-Z and Beyonce, they're unfettered support of these politicians which have done damage to African communities where Obama goes to Ghana and says don't blame colonialism for the problems happening in Ghana and Africa are he you sure said it he sure yes. said it <laughs> yes so so and then he says well I'm gonna strap on my sneakers and march with you in Wisconsin didn't do that the teachers were striking he he just kind of said I'm gonna support you and did not do that so Beyonce, Jeezy, they're making money off of working class people and supporting these candidates and these presidents whose interests lie in the pockets of, of billionaires, of banks. It's important to pay attention to those details as well. You can make good music, but you have to understand the other situations where these people lie and when they're lending their support. And you can make a conscious decision if you want to continue to support their music. But understand the other issues yeah, that are going sure, on. Yeah. I'm not personally saying don't support Beyonce and Jay-Z because they support Obama. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying understand the situations that are going on. Don't just say they make good music and stop there. It's OK to hold them accountable. You can still like someone's music and do that. This is where Stan Culture does not understand that. <laughs> right. Well, Stan Culture justifies it. And. That's the scary part when you see people like Stevie Wonder, for example, 
you know, when they asked him what he thought about Obama bombing, you know, and he was just like bomb him to peace or something like that. Right. There's no rationality for justifying that kind of exploitation of the working class just because the president is half black. You know, that I have a big problem with that. That's another layer is the American exceptionalism, as if America has the reason they're the best country in the world. I'm sure there was a reason why the people in the Middle East died or there's a reason why Obama is going to Chicago and taking away the libraries. Oh, there's a reason. There's a reason. And it's a rational reason. Therefore, we shouldn't say anything and just shut up and celebrate them. That kind of mentality is just ridiculous. And I never understood why celebrities like Beyonce or Jay-Z or even Oprah would go out of their way. Oh, they are the best president because they speak well, because they identify with us, but their interests are in to protect the banks and all of these private corporations. I don't get the rationality for justif justifying that kind of uh, behavior. Um, and Stan Culture makes sense of it. Stan Culture says basically there's a reason and I'm not political. Therefore, I don't know. I can't say nothing about it. There's a it's, it's just blind allegiance, really. Um, and there's no reason for that. And it happens all the time from yes. both parties. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> What's your take on Michael Stan culture? Michael Stan culture. He's Michael Stan culture, I would say, does a lot of plugging. What I spoke about earlier, because Michael won so many awards and he's arguably the world's most famous human being, which his accolades for itself. So I feel like Michael Stans tend to idolize his innocence. I do acknowledge that Michael was innocent and that he had a childlike heart that really paved the way for his character. He was very humble. But I think what happens to his his fan community, a particular number of them actually, tend to forge or find it hard to critique some of the things that were probably dubious or just nonsensical. I think a lot of, of Michael fans tend to just be like, oh, Michael was perfect, almost. That's that's what they would probably say. He's perfect, that Michael didn't curse. That Not that cursing is wrong, but there are fans that believe that Michael Jackson didn't curse, which is ridiculous. Or that, <laughs> that he just... It's almost like the lines are so then nothing he did was weird or even borderline not normal. I mean, he didn't live a normal life. So that meant some of the things he did wasn't normal. And to take away from that or to justify that and just to say, oh, well, he had a bad childhood. That's why it's like, OK, but there's still some personal responsibility. Michael didn't always tell us the truth about himself. And that's not to say there was a sinister side to him. But when you think about what he did reveal, that says a lot. You can watch the Michael the Shit documentary, for instance, a good example, <laughs> you know, when he's talking about blanket or even when he, he's talking about the birth of his children and how he took Paris away and then ran with the placenta and everything on that. That's like, what? Why would you do that? You know, I mean, you can't really normalize with that and say, oh, that's normal. It's not. A good another example is, yes, Michael was robbed of his childhood. OK, that's 
indisputable. He was basically a working boy and he maintained that life until his adulthood. And he was definitely exploited for his labor. But that doesn't justify having kids around and using them as a way to compensate for the lack of childhood he had. And I think some fans would say, oh, no, there's a reason or that's why he did it. But it doesn't. It says that Michael should have gotten help. And there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that he needed help because he had a hard life. And I don't think that's wrong to say. But if you ask the community, they would justify it and they would say, oh, well, no, the reason why he did it is because he didn't have a childhood. OK, when well, that's when you talk to a psychiatrist, that's when you go and get help. And I'm not just that's not to say he didn't. I'm not sure if he had any professional help. But I think sometimes he handled ways in a very naive like manner. And that actually hurt him. And he, he, like a lot of other celebrities, had yes people, people who just agreed with whatever they did. And if they didn't agree, he would hire someone who would agree. And Mike was definitely not the only person who did that. I think Prince and a lot of other celebrities in general have people around to get what they need done. And if you're not going to subscribe to their idea, then they'll fire you and find somebody else. And that's a problem, especially if it affects your health. So yes. that's what I would say, that his community, the, the Michael Stan community tend to ignore and even go out of their way to justify his behaviors that were eccentric or that could have been handled better. And I don't see why they would do that. But of course, there's a justification. There's a reason. There's always a reason. <laughs> so. Yes. The thing about Michael is he was trained in a very particular way through Motown and through Motown, the artists were trained to lie about particular aspects of their life. Yes. In terms of the Jackson Five, the first lie, Diana Ross founded or, or discovered the Jackson Five. And this leaves out Bobby Taylor and Gladys Knight. They were left out of the initial narrative. Later on, they talked about that, but it was always Diana Ross discovered them. And so you see in later years when... Diana Ross was asked about that. She doesn't directly say she discovered. She says, well, I met them when they were auditioning for Barry Gordy, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. But Gladys Knight was like, what are you talking about? Right. It was me and Bobby Taylor. And so it it definitely became established later on. But that was the the first major lie. And then they lied about Michael's age. And then they lied about... uh was it Johnny Jackson was their cousin when he wasn't related? There were all these lies that they were told to say. And then Michael says, what does he say that I sing it because I feel it? Something to that effect. Mm -hmm. But no, he's being yeah, trained yeah. to sing in these particular ways. And he was a great mimic. So I think some of the things he's saying he felt, but he was a kid. So right. he could not have possibly experienced all those things he sang about. Mm -hmm. So it's just a lot of these narratives that are put together to generate a more interesting story for these groups. And then as Michael grew, of course, <laughs> there were stories that were created to make him seem more interesting. And then it fused together with his actual life. And we don't know what's real and what's not sometimes. And other times we do know what's real and what's not. For instance, the John Merrick, the Elephant Man, the Bones, and the Hyperbaric Chamber. So those things were generated by Michael and his people. 
And then the tabloids caught on, and that's when you really started seeing the the J word, which I'm not going to say. Don't say that. But it just started to backfire on him. He was yes. a marketing guy. Yeah. He read the H.P. Barnum autobiography back to front numerous occasions, made a staff read it. H.P. Barnum, his picture was on the cover of Dangerous. So that was a huge component of Michael's life because he wanted to always generate mystery and some aspect of controversy. But again, it backfired. It the backfired. biggest example, yeah. when the fans were asking him, to show them blanket or BG, what is his name mm-hmm. now? Yeah, that's it. Blanket, <laughs> Michael BG. Jackson, the, Michael Joseph right. Jackson Jr. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So the fans were saying, "Show, show us blanket, show us blanket," and he did that. Why he did that? Because he didn't have discernment. He wanted to please his fans, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But he could have said, "Okay, here we go." Be, like he could have just shown him to holding it and not. Holding him over the balcony. He could have just right. held him, not over the balcony. But he said, here, hey. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so exactly. Michael did not have discernment at that time. And it's okay to say that. But the stands, the fans are like, no, he held him tightly. He held him tightly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's one like, thing. He may have held him tightly. But there's a risk you take when you do that. Even if you hold someone tightly, something could have happened. Someone could have stepped behind Michael and said, hey, Michael, you tapped him on the shoulder, could have scared Michael. He could have dropped the baby. So to not run that risk, just hold your baby behind the balcony. There are steps he could have taken over the years to prevent (laughs) so many of the things that happened to him. And another thing I was thinking about was, when you were talking about the living with Michael Jackson, <laughs> was he said, I only got two nose jobs. Right. And exactly. he, he was still saying that. And you have to pay attention to how he frames things because he said that I know of or that I can think of. Right. Exactly. When people exactly. usually say that, it means they're using the power of omission. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So there, there are things that he omitted in and that's, that's okay. He was very clever in that. He was very exactly. clever in that. He's a marketing guy. Marketing, yeah. So what are some misconceptions that people have had about Michael that the fans have created in order to create Michael into this person he actually wasn't? For instance, you mentioned the cursing. The cursing is a big one I can think about. Yeah. So I mean, uh, if if the man is going to swear on an official album, do you really think he's not doing that outside of that? Exactly. Or <laughs> <laughs> right, that Michael. Uh, here's a, another common one that Michael really had a light voice. Oh yes. That's a big one. It's like no, not to say his voice was like Barry White, but. <laughs> He definitely had a tone in his voice, and it wasn't the the media marketed voice that he was talking with in the nineties. Uh, I think later on he started talking in his regular. I think a good example of his talking voice is the interview he had with Geraldo. You know. Oh, Geraldo uh, Rivera. Yeah. Geraldo, yeah, Geraldo Rivera. Yeah, that's a that's a good example. So that's one. I think people they just buy into the hype of whatever story they want to go with because it makes the most sense or it makes Michael seem 
extra or more than human um, for whatever reason. Uh, but those are very, those two in particular are ones that I never fail at <laughs> getting a kick out of. Or that Michael, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of some. I got one that he did not lip sync any of the bad tour or the dangerous Ooh, tour. But he one. sang dangerous tour yes, all live. I see one. that. I see. Are that. you people kidding me? They're not listening. They're not paying attention either. Yeah, that's a really good one, actually. So let's get into this because yes, the majority of the bad tour was live. All of the victory tour was live. All of the triumph tour was live. But you had the bad tour, which was his first solo tour, and most of it was live. And then you got Man in the Mirror until the end was canned. I'm not sure where people are getting that he's singing this live. I've never seen a performance where he's on this live. And I actually have numerous. Right. (laughs) You're not just right. You ain't just talking out your ass. You know, you've seen these videos. I don't see why people don't acknowledge that. Yeah, because he would he would lip sing the first half, and then at the end he would come in during exactly. the ad libs and everything, and then he would sing that. You know exactly. And the way you make me feel on the bad tour, I think uh, there were some stops on the tour where he sang it live, but a solid majority he sang the first verse canned. And then the second verse was live. I'm not sure why he did it that way. Why wouldn't you just sing the whole song? I, I don't know. Uh, and also bad, the same thing, where he would do the first and maybe even the second canned, and then you go later on where it was live. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm not sure where people are getting that he performed the whole tour live. Definitely on the first half of the tour, he did live, like Smooth Criminal is the perfect example. So the first portion of the tour, he did live. And then later on, you got the second half, he was lip syncing Smooth Criminal. And yeah. from then on, he was lip syncing Smooth Criminal. Yeah. But I, I don't understand where people were saying all of that tour was live. People continue to say that. You know, I, I, I have seen every single performance and I know he's singing a lot. And then, People are saying the da- dangerous was yeah. live. Oh my goodness, that's that doesn't make any sense. With <laughs> are you are you telling me he sang jam live? No. Just a, a a big clue is when he has the head mic, it's gonna be lip sync for for most of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's the clue. That's what I look at. Look at his hands. Look at how he's covering his mouth. Mm-hmm. He's mimicking. He's trying to get he's distorting what he's actually doing. It's a form of magic, which he was really interested in. And I think he did that intentionally. And that's why a lot of people are fooled, because if you've seen any magician, you know, the art or the job of a magician is to manipulate your attention. So you're looking at the tape on his fingers and you're looking at that. You're not really paying attention that there's no he's not actually singing it. So. Mm I think a lot of people were deceived by that. And also in terms of the bad tour, since the majority of the shows were sung live, people are omitting the the songs that weren't because they're looking at the majority. And so that outweighs for a lot of people, you know, but it's clearly the case that some of those performances were not sung live. And also if 
you notice when he sang live, as most people are want to do, they lower the pitch. But on half of these tour stops, he did it the same pitch as the album. Mm, the history tour. Uh, <laughs> we ain't going. Ninety nine percent of that tour was lip synced. Are you? I look. I love Michael. The one percent. I'm not paying for that. You are not alone. If ninety nine percent was lip synced on the history tour, the one percent was the ending of You Are Not Alone. <laughs> you are in my heart. Right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he got his check for that. But if, then, okay, an even bigger insult is when he did the off-the-wall thriller portion. Oh, I know. Yeah. Why did you not, if you're going to do a canned version, at least do a version specifically for the show. Don't do the album versions. Especially, yeah. it's an insult, especially when you've been doing live versions of those songs in previous tours, mm-hmm. and then you want to do history and lip sync to the album version in which your voice is not the same. That's yeah. insulting. Yeah, yeah, he didn't have to insulting. do that. He could have recorded, just like when he would do Scream and he recorded Janet's part. Exactly. Over. Why not record over Off the Wall? You know, like... Right. Instead of yeah, totally, totally agree. To me, that's just pure laziness. <laughs> I don't know if they didn't have time to create a canned version. I don't know. I just think that's disrespectful. And I know people are gonna don't say that about. It's disrespectful. If I'm gonna pay money to see your concert, have respect for me. <laughs> At least do a different version of it. And then when he's doing DS, he's just kind of walking around. I, I just don't be disrespectful. <laughs> I love that performance of DS when he's shaking his hair back and forth. But just to break away for a second, because it would be a crime. I know, I'm sure some Michael fans are like, "What well, Prince did Sampler said. So I should talk about this for a second. Mm. So towards the end of Prince's career, I would say the last, I would say it started around 2010. He introduced the sampler set, which was basically samples of his hits, such as When Doves Cry, Nasty Girl. Also, he threw in a couple other songs that weren't as popular, but he would do Sound of the Times, Housequake, and a sampler set. And a lot of fans hated it. Um, I have a lot. I know a lot of Prince fans that hate the sampler set because oftentimes he wouldn't sing the whole song. It would just be like 35 seconds of when does cry and then he'll turn into i would die for you or whatever and (laughs) it pissed a lot of people off but i think a reason why he did that is because you know prince when he would perform live he would do a lot of songs that the general population or the general audience would know so Mm -hmm. if he would do a song like somewhere here on earth you know no one is really jamming to that or Mm -hmm. a guitar that song though (laughs) right me too you know, these were songs that I've grown to love, but a lot of people who are going to a Prince show, they don't know when he does a song like Dreamer or any of the other songs that were not in the 80s. So I'm mentioning that because, again, a lot of people didn't like it. But I understand why he did it, because a lot of times the sampler set was probably the most lively part of the show. Because, like, oh, you know, you know when Doves Cry, you know um, Side of the Times and all these other songs. So it's a reason why he... He did it, although I didn't particularly like it either because it was usually filled with a bunch of cheesy samples. So he would have the alphabet street. No, kind of thing always going in and out of the sampler. 
So, um, but yeah, I mentioned that because that's not quite like Michael lip singing, but it's what a lot of people thought was lazy because he didn't perform the whole song often. Sometimes he would, but then most of the time it would just be like a way of him to say, I got too many hits. I got so many hits. And he'll go through these, you know, <laughs> 45 second hit songs and then turn into something else. <laughs> oh, I think a misperception about Prince is that he never lip synced, which cannot possibly be true because he was on American Bandstand straight up lip sync and I want to be your lover. Yes. Like, treat me so bad. Yes. <laughs> there are particular, see, I can say this about Prince with lip singing. He did it like, yeah, those two times and also in the 90s for emancipation, he lip synced. For yes, like when he, he won did. that award. I forget what it was, but yeah, he lip sang that whole thing. Also, yes. during the gold experience era when he was on, like the award shows. And I remember some reasoning. Someone said it was because they didn't have the time to, I don't, they made up some reason why he did it, but those are the only two events or five events, if you want to put the number on it, where he actually lip sang. Everything else he pretty much sung live, but. Yeah, yeah, what what was the performance where he did P control? That was the award. Yeah, that was um the VMAs, I think. Okay. Yeah, that was lip sync too. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there were times he definitely did it, but I think those were mostly award shows when he would do it. <laughs> when he was winning an award, or when he had a presenter award, or if he was just there promoting. Yeah. But his yeah, touring. But he- he never really, he never lip synced during a tour. Right. Yeah, people have said, Prince never lip synced. Don't say that. But he, he has. He, did. he had, he has, he had moments. And again, he didn't lip sync during a tour. Right. But for certain shows. Yeah, that's undoubtable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe, and I used this word earlier, and I want to clarify, when I say naive, I mean not really factoring in that someone can manipulate your circumstance. And I don't believe he was that naive. I do think, like you said, a lot of times it backfired on him. I think sometimes he tried to manipulate the artist or the audience attention and it backfired. The blanket situation is an example of an event that could have, he could have used more discipline with Mm -hmm. that and navigating that, that whole experience. I mean, at the point where it happened, he couldn't do anything about it. And the media was going to just go off the rockers with it. But that's an event that could have been handled better. Absolutely. And even to what you were saying with him not exactly being naive, the fact that he had his own film crew for the Bashir documentary showed that he's not that naive because he understands or understood how the press worked. And he thought of the press of media in general is working against him. So he always had to have a counterpoint and people are going to get mad. I do not think that counterpoint was very well executed. The whole porn lighting situation with Debbie Rowe. What was that? I mean, she's straight up. Mm. <laughs> and I think she was being honest in that. She said, you know, I gave Michael kids cause we were friends. I don't remember her saying, well, we were in love and we got married and we had kids. She said, Michael wanted a kid and I gave him kids. We were friends. So we have to pay attention really close to what these people are saying. Yes, that's the best way to uh, 
to summarize it. I think for stand culture, if we're going to be stands of these celebrities, we need to dissect what they're saying and not take it so seriously when it's coming from their mouths, because a lot of it is marketing. So we shouldn't be that naive to just, oh, well, I read an article where they said at this particular time, because they're not always being truthful. They're hiding some things. And that just provides a shit ton of context <laughs> for things that seem loosely connected. You know, not all of it is being revealed. That's all right. We don't know it all. So don't take these celebrities and their words so seriously because you're not getting the whole picture. I mean, we're lucky if we're, we're even getting a shadow sometimes. Mm -hmm. So we shouldn't take it to heart and definitely not insult others that difference in opinion about the same things we see because we can argue and debate all the time because we're only getting perception. The one thing I think about is from tabloid junkie just because you read in a magazine or magazines, see yes. screen don't make it actual factual <laughs> and to me that goes for michael as well people who are stands of michael tend to believe every word he says they tend to hang on to everything he does but i really do think whether intentional or not that was addressing him as well yes. you should not believe everything michael says it was even in the moonwalk book mm -hmm. you know <laughs> Everything. I'm not an angel. And so he's straight again. You have to read between the lines. Everything he says does not apply to his life outside of performance. Yes. Some things are strictly performative. He also said in the Ebony Jet interview in 1987 with Daryl Dunard that some of the rumors are true and some are not. Mm -hmm. You have to pay attention to what people are saying outside of these surface level things because Michael. He did give some stuff away. <laughs> yes. But we focus on the superficial in order to maintain our fantasy about these celebrities mm -hmm. and to, to not tarnish who we think they right. are. But again, they put in a time clock just like the rest of us do. And when they're off the clock, we gotta leave them off the clock. Let them have their lives. And then when they are back on the clock, don't even expect them to cater you 24-7 because they have to do their jobs. <laughs> they can't cater to you. Yes, they're performing as if they're singing to you and you're relating to that experience. But there are thousands of other people who are thinking the same thing as you. Yes. One of my, to end it on this note, I have a quote, one of my favorite quotes that Prince would say, everything you think is true. <laughs> which mm -hmm. you know you can take that in a philosophical discourse if you want to it just basically means you know if you're thinking it it's true to you doesn't mean it's true <laughs> it just <laughs> means that your mind makes it true it's the matrix and that's kind of what we're doing anyway when we socialize someone might say something and you're connecting to it something that you get and then someone else is taking it another way so i mean it's best to just kind of leave it up to the imagination but you kind of start with the objective reality that you're not getting it all anyway. So you can be a detective and you can pick up the pieces and connect them. You can do all of that. Or you can just say, oh, OK, you know, take it with a grain of salt or hot sauce if need be, because some people, you know, they leave it bland and they leave it up to you to add the pepper. 
So. (laughs) (laughs) Carry salt and hot sauce in your bag if you need to. It's all right. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Music and We. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you got something out of it. And if you have any questions, comments, issues, please let us know. We hope that any discussion that will come out of this will be reflective of a positive thing, something larger than ourselves. And we hope it is definitely constructive. Thank you once again. Have a wonderful day.